I read a story recently about the Christian singer Natalie Grant, and she was asked, what was your most memorable Christmas? What was your most memorable Christmas? She said, when I was six years old, there was, uh, they had a family of, of seven, five uh, children and the parents, and we were moving uh, to go see Grandma for Christmas, and we were driving from Seattle down to San Diego. And as they were driving, they stopped uh, one uh, late afternoon in Northern California, and as they pulled up to find their parking place for their mobile home for the night, they pulled up next to an old, dilapidated, silver Airstream trailer. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. This old Airstream had boards over the windows and plastic over the door, and it was absolutely dilapidated. Grant's father, being rather gregarious and somewhat curious, decided he would go and meet their one-night neighbors. And so as he walked over, he found out that husband had lost his job, that they had five children, that husband and wife had lost their house, and now were living in this little Airstream uh, trailer full-time with no money, no job, and really no Christmas. Grant's father walked back into the house and said, kids, I'm going to give you a lesson about Christmas that you'll never forget. He said, we're going to take everything. They cleaned out their pantries of the mobile home. They cleaned out their refrigerator and their beautiful little Christmas tree in their little mobile, ho- or mobile trailer that they were driving down with the presents under it. They said, we're going to ask each of you kids to take one of your presents and bring it next door. Natalie Grant said, there was one doll I really wanted for Christmas that year. And I had asked for it, and I was confident I was going to get it. It was called the real doll. It was called the real doll because it really did eat, and it really did go to the bathroom after it ate. She was so looking forward to that doll, so she picked a package which she thought was not that doll, only to find out when they got next door and they began to pass out the food and the Christmas packages that she had given to a little girl about her age, her real doll. She said, I had run this through in my mind. If she opens the real doll, I'm just going to take it and I'm going to run back and I'm going to get another present and bring it back to her. But she said, once I saw that girl open that doll and look down into that doll's face and recognize this doll is for me. She said, something changed on the inside of me as a six-year-old girl. As I watch this little girl Look at this gift. Sometimes amid the busyness of Christmas, we forget to look at not a doll, but a real baby that was born and laid in a manger for us. And God cares and cared about us so much that he would, through the Old Testament, remind us that hope was coming. Take your Bibles and let's look at the Old Testament passage of Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. 
Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Keep your Bibles open in Micah chapter 5. We're going to move quickly, but we're going to look at some other verses in that chapter as well. Micah chapter 5, verse number 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And with that, let's pray. God, would you speak uh, and just uh, encourage and challenge us about the person of Jesus, the hope that he brings, the promises that he keeps, and may our hearts be in tune with the word and the encouragement that you give us today in your name. Amen. The name Micah means who is like the Lord. We have a son named Micah who was named right after this prophet and specifically named after this prophet because of this prophecy in Micah chapter 5 in verse number 2. Micah was the prophet from about 750 BC to about 686 BC, somewhere in that ballpark. And during this time, there were some interesting things going on in the nation of Israel. Now, by this time, they had split into ten northern tribes, was called Israel, and there were two southern tribes called Judah. And the ten northern tribes, at this time, around 740, began to be threatened by the Assyrians. As a matter of fact, in 740, the Assyrians came in and captured many cities and began to... to charge taxes and tribute to the people in the ten northern tribes of Israel. In 735, Hosea decided he did not want to pay taxes anymore. So as the king of Israel, he said, look, we're not paying taxes to the Assyrians anymore. And soon got plundered in about 735. And then finally, in 722 BC, the Assyrians totally captured and captivated the nation of Israel, those 10 northern tribes, and they moved Assyrians into those areas, and they began to intermarry with the Jewish people. And thus, when we get to the New Testament, we find Samaritans that were a mix of Jewish and Gentile uh, uh, relationships and children. So we find that there is this great looming threat over the nation of Judah now as Assyria is moving down, moving toward them, and they are wondering, is there any hope? What do I do now? Does God really care about me? Some of you may be going through challenges in your life today and there's a real threat out there of something going on, be it physical, be it financial, be it relational, and you're wondering, does God really care and is there really any hope? Well, Micah had told this nation that they were going to be judged by God because of their sinfulness. Matter of fact, if you look at Micah chapter 3 in verse number 12, he tells us basically that the city of Jerusalem is going to be leveled. That God is going to allow an enemy to come in and to, to absolutely wipe it out. Notice what it says in chapter 3 and verse number 12. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem become heaps of ruins and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. That judgment is coming. And yet, as Micah then turns the page, as we open Micah chapter 4, we find words of hope. 
There's words of hope. Notice in Micah chapter 4 and verse number 1. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the mountains, on the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and the people shall flow to it. Hey, there's coming a day of peace. There's coming a day of hope. There's coming a day that we can we can rest in the future. And then he shows us the key to that happening is found in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. There is going to come one out of Bethlehem. God cares. God cares for people who are struggling and feeling uh, threatened and feeling like there are enemies around or feeling like there are circumstances pressing in. And he shows his care by offering a message of hope. So we see in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2 that it's from Bethlehem. God cares God cares enough to show his plan. That's the, the first thing that he does. God cares enough. He begins to unfold the plan. In Micah chapter 4, he begins to say, look, there's better days coming. There's hope for the future. There's going to be a, a better life, a better day, a better future. And then he says, and that better hope, that better life, that better future is going to come as I reveal the truth about the Messiah. So God reveals the truth about the Messiah and says he is going to be born in a specific place and that specific place is going to be Bethlehem. As God's word begins to unfold, you know, we look and we think, all right, God, what are you doing? Man, there's enemies around us. We know the end of the story. We know what's going to happen. But these people didn't. Just as you face the threat of today, you you look back and think about all the things you worried about in your life, all the struggles you faced in your life, and you didn't know how they would come out, and yet you sit here today and say, man, I recognize that God did care, that God was faithful, that God did see me through, and that's why I'm here. But for these folks, they didn't know what was going to happen. So he tells them they're going to come from a specific, that the Messiah, the ruler, is going to come from a specific place. Bethlehem. Bethlehem Ephratah. The word Bethlehem itself in the Hebrew means house of bread. Beth, house of lachem, bread. And Bethlehem Ephratah gives the picture. The Ephratah is to designate this, this specific city and says and shows that it is a place of fruitfulness. Don't you find it amazing that the bread of life and the one who says, I am the vine and you are the branches, the one who provides fruit fruit through us as we abide in him, came from Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the bread of life, came. From Bethlehem, the one who provides fruit through our life as we abide in him, John 15, came. Bethlehem at this time probably had maybe 300 to 1,000 people in it. Just a small, unknown, unnoticed city. And yet we find that that was the city where Ruth met Boaz. We find that that was the city where David uh, was raised. We find that that was the city where David was ultimately anointed by Samuel. It was the city of David, as Luke reminds us in Luke chapter 2. So that it would be reminded that the royal lineage was right there. That Jesus, the Messiah, would come from Bethlehem. Today, Bethlehem is quite an interesting city. 35 plus thousand people. And it is a Palestinian city. 
So that when you go into Bethlehem, as we went into the spring, uh, you have to go through an Israeli checkpoint to get into that city. And we went to the church of the nativity where they believe that, that you know, this may have been the, the cave and the shepherds on the hill over here. But, but what we do know is this, that the times of turmoil in Micah's day and even the times of turmoil in the Middle East today can only be solved by one person and his name is Jesus. He will come from a specific place and then he's going to have specific characteristics. Now notice what we find about him. We've got to move quickly. He says, though you are, are little Bethlehem Ephratah among the thousands, yet out of you shall come forth to me. He's going to possess specific characteristics. First off, he's going to have a relationship with God. Out of you shall come forth to me. He's going to speak for me. He's going to, to live for me. He's going to show God's will. Out of you, there's going to be one who comes with a relationship and a unique relationship with God. And then notice what he says. Out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, a ruler from the lineage of David. He's going to be a ruler. What do we see about this one who's going to be the Messiah? That he's going to have a relationship with God. He's going to be a ruler. And then notice the last thing. We find that he is eternal. Notice whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. What do you need when you face a challenge in your life? What do you need when you need hope in your life? Can I tell you what you need? You need someone who can bring you to God. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 5, it tells us that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one who brings us to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. We need someone with a relationship with God who can bring us to God. Then we need someone who can lead. We need a ruler, someone who has authority, someone who has wisdom, someone who can lead and rule in a in a great perspective perspective because they are eternal. They've seen it all, been there, done that, know all of history. We're there. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the eternal one. He says in John eight fifty eight, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is eternal. He is the one who leads us, and he is the one who brings us into a relationship with God. That's the picture. Can I tell you today? I mean, there's all kinds of political yuck going on in our world today. The answer is Jesus. Our, our hope doesn't come from D.C. Our hope was born in Bethlehem, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again, and now can come into your life. Can I tell you, God cares. God shows his plan. But also what we find in this passage is not only that God cares and shows his plan, but God cares and keeps his promises. That God cares and he keeps his promises. Notice Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2 as we jump back. God cares enough to keep the promises that he has set for us. You Bethlehem, out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel who's going forth are from of old, from everlasting. God keeps his promises. As we think of this promise hundreds of years before Jesus would come, 
God keeps his promises. How do we know that? 1 Corinthians 1.9 tells us that God is faithful. Even David, the, the great one who, who came from Bethlehem, would say this. Look, if you're facing struggles and challenges in your life, can I tell you the, the, the promises of God are true? That David would say, look, I, I once was young, but now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken, neither their descendants begging for bread. That was the promise that David gave us. And what we find is that God is always faithful. God will not forsake his people. And God always has a plan in place. So he shows his plan for that first coming. He shows the plan. That plan for the first coming is, is Jesus is on the way. Actually, we see this picture throughout the Old Testament. With the first sin in Genesis chapter 3, we find in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15, God makes that first promise. He speaks to the serpent and says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he will crush your head and you'll bruise his heel. Jesus is going to be born of a woman. Jesus is going to come through the family, the tribe, the lineage of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We find that through Abraham, God is going to bless all the world. We find in Genesis chapter 49 and verse number 10, where it tells uh, the Lord speaking to, to Judah and, and, and speaking a word of blessing over him says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. In other words, the scepter, the sign of royalty and king is going to come out of the tribe of Judah. We find Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14 that he is going to be born of a virgin. And here in, in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2, we find that he is going to be born in Bethlehem. God laid it out. God keeps his promises. I, I told you a couple of weeks ago that one of the Christmas movies that we always watch is the movie Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad in it. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, this busy businessman, has made promises to his to his son and promise, I'm going to be there for this, I'm going to be there for that, I'm going to be here, I'm going to be there for you, and continually and consistently always breaks his promises. Can I tell you, God is faithful. He will not, he cannot break a promise that he has set for us. Now, this is promise number one, Jesus and his first coming. But can I tell you, there is another promise that awaits us. That is promise number two, and that is Jesus and his return. See, we see this first promise of, of the Messiah coming and being born in Bethlehem. And we find that in Luke chapter 2 that, that it was during that time of Caesar Augustus when Quirinius was reigning that everyone had to go to their own city to be taxed. And David and took Mary and they went to Bethlehem, the city of David, to be registered. And while she was there, it tells us in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 7, that the days were completed for her to be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. First coming. But there is a promise of a second coming. And Acts chapter 1 and verse number 11, as Jesus ascends into heaven, 
The angels speak to those disciples that are watching, says, guys, why are you standing, staring into heaven? This same Jesus who is gone is going to come back again. And we see the picture of the second coming in Revelation chapter 19, verse number 11 and following. Jesus is coming again. It will not have anything to do with being born in poverty or obscurity like it was in Bethlehem. This time he is coming in royalty and majesty and all authority. In Revelation chapter 19, verse number 11 and following, it tells us that there is one who comes in and he is riding on a white horse and he is faithful and true. It tells us that that his eyes are like flaming fire and on his head are many crowns. It tells us that he is wearing a robe that is dipped in blood and alongside of him are many armies and he has a name that is written on his robe and in his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he is coming this time to take over. And that's the hope that we have today. The hope that we have today is no matter what circumstance or, or what situation that you are in today, that Jesus is coming. If you're hurting today, you look forward and you say, God, I know you keep your promises. And if I don't go first, Lord, I'm looking for that day when you take me. Jesus is coming. That's what we have to hold to. This is, this is the hope of our life. This, this is what brings us encouragement in our life. This, what's keep, this is what keeps us motivated during the hard days. This is what keeps us pressing on during the times of persecution or ridicule. We know that Jesus wins. Jesus wins. And because of that, we want to be about his business. Now, when Jesus comes to take over in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 15, we find that in Revelation chapter 20, there's a thousand-year period where Jesus is going to reign on the earth called the millennial period, the millennium. And during this time, we see uh, some amazing things and prophecies that come to take place. And some of them are laid out for us right here in Micah chapter 5. Okay, so let's take a moment and just think about these promises uh, that are yet to come. First off, God is going to gather, or the Lord Jesus is going to gather Israel back together. Notice verse number three. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. He's going to regather Israel together. Today, Israel is threatened. As the tribulation period comes, Israel is going to be uh, in, in uh, deep persecution. And the whole world, every nation, it tells us, is going to turn against them. And they are going to run and they are going to hide. And during this time, the Lord's going to regather them. Then he's going to lead them. Notice verse number four. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the na- in the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. He's going to provide peace. Notice verse number five. And the one shall be peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and when he treads into our palaces, then we'll raise up against him seven shepherds and eight princely men, and they shall waste with the sword the land of the Assyrians. There's going to be peace. We're going to see the demonstration of the Lord's awesome and mighty power. Notice down in verse number seven. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many like the dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass that tarry for no man, nor 
wait for the sons of men. Now notice verse number eight. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of the sheep. What do we see here? That God is going to empower Israel and they, just as the lion is the king of the jungle, they are going to be the king and authority, authoritative nation over the world. That's a promise from God. You better understand. And we better understand. Don't mess with Israel. God has a plan for Israel. And that one day, this little tiny nation is going to be the king of the beasts among all the other nations. Then notice down with verse number 10. And it shall be in that day says the Lord, I'm going to cut off uh, your horses from your, from your midst. What's he saying? That God's going to show his power among the nations. First, he's going to show it. He says, you're not going to need horses. I'm going to destroy your chariots. I'm going to cut the cities of, of your land and throw down all your strongholds. You're, you're not going to have to set up uh, fortresses, and, and, and you're not going to have to have refuges. Uh, I, I'm going to throw down all your strongholds. And then verse number 12, I'm going to cut out your sorceries from your hand. No more soothsayers. He's going to show his power in a mighty and awesome way. They're not going to have to have idols and, and uh, anything dealing with uh, witchcraft or sorcery. He said, look, it's all going to be gone. Everyone's going to lean on and rely on me. Notice verse 13. Your carved images I'm going to cut off and the sacred pillars from your midst. You shall no more worship the work of your hands. I'm going to pluck your wooden images from your midst and I'll destroy your cities. And then he ultimately comes to judge the nations. And I, verse 15, will execute vengeance and anger and fury fury on the nations that have not heard. We love the song Joy to the World and we sing it at Christmas time. But can I tell you, Joy to the World is not a song about Jesus and his first coming. Joy to the World is a song about Jesus and his second coming. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. They didn't receive him as a king the first time, but he's coming as the king. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. No more sin and sorrow and thorns that infest the ground. This will be a time of unprecedented peace where the unparalleled power of God moves in an infinite way among his people as he strengthens Israel. I tell you, there's a message of hope. There was a message of hope that Micah brought and there's a message of hope that we bring today. And that is this. Jesus was born and the devil and the Religious leaders and the Romans thought they won when they killed him. But he rose again. And he's coming again. And he's coming to take over. Are you ready? Do you know him? Is he the king of your life? Is he truly the ruler of your heart? There's a message and a challenge. 
If you don't know him, then you are in direct rebellion to the infinite and sovereign God who is going to show his hand in power and establish his kingdom whether you agree or disagree. But if you know him, you know that one day you're going to be with him and experience the peace that passes understanding and the joy unspeakable and full of glory in a way that you have never on this earth and in this life experienced before. Do you know Jesus? Have you received him in your life? With that, let's take a moment and pray. Would it bring joy to your world if Jesus showed up today? I I think that's a really serious and pertinent question. I mean, are you ready if Jesus showed up today? Do you know that you know him? Have you received him? If not, then you're in direct rebellion. And as you celebrate Christmas and the coming of Jesus, you're missing that he didn't come just to be a good example. He came to be your savior. And the only way that we can be part of his kingdom is to recognize we can't earn it or deserve it. We've all sinned. We're disqualified from God's perfect kingdom and to go to God's perfect heaven. But Jesus came. He was born, laid in a manger, lived a perfect life. Ultimately, he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and rose again from the dead so that you could receive eternal life and forgiveness and be a part of his kingdom and be in a relationship with him forever. If you don't know that today, that's life's most important question. Do you know Jesus? Some of you are believers today. And amid all the challenges of life, you just have forgotten. We win. And I'm more than a conqueror through Christ, even today. And God, I pray that you would take anyone that doesn't know Jesus today and draw them to yourself. And for those of us who do, remind us, we don't fight for victory. We fight from it. You win, and we win with you. Thank you, Jesus. Move during this time in your name. Amen.